Daniel resolved not to defile himself with the royal food and wine, and he asked the chief official for permission not to defile himself this way. Now God had caused the official to show favour and compassion to Daniel, but the official told Daniel, I am afraid of my lord the king, who has assigned your food and drink. Why should he see you looking worse than the other young men your age? The king would not have been, would have my head because of you. Daniel then said to the guard whom the chief official had appointed over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah, please test your servants for 10 days. Give us nothing but vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then compare our appearance with that of the young men who eat the royal food and treat your servants in accordance with what you see. So he agreed to do this and tested, and tested them for 10 days. At the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables instead. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kind. At the end of the time set by the king to bring them to his service, the chief official presented them to Nebuchadnezzar. So, so they entered the king's service. In every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king questioned them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters in his whole kingdom. This is the word of the Lord. In the name of the one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. It is a real pleasure to be back with you this day. And if I may just say, this is one of the more lively churches in the region, and quite often one of the noisier churches in the region, and that is not a bad thing. So let me, with that in mind, try this just to begin with. Do you know this? God is good. All the time. Fabulous. We'll come back to that at the end. Today we celebrate as two young women come to get confirmed. How good is that? And I'm just going to say, I guess we all know this. You are getting confirmed into a really curious time of our world. Uh, There is so much stuff going on at the moment. Let me just try this out. There's war, there's climate crisis, and there's still, even if we forget it just here, there's still a pandemic roaming around. And on top of that, on top of that, the very church you're getting confirmed into is, in a sense, struggling to cohere together. So it's not a bad question to ask. How do you sing the Lord's song in a strange land? And that's not a question just for the two of you getting confirmed, but for all of us here. How do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land? How do we live faithfully when at times we feel overwhelmed and at other times bewildered? (laughs) Or both. I don't know about you, but bewildered has become one of the terms I use at the moment quite a lot. So much is bewildering. 
Now, the book of Daniel has some parallels with the situation I've just described. Not that they had a human-made climate crisis to deal with back then. But there are some parallels. Israel had been invaded by Babylon. And many Israelites had been sent in exile, and some to serve in Babylon, and some to serve in the royal household. And among those, as you, I hope you all know from, was it last week you did the first one? There is Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. And we get to know these guys later, or at least the three of them later in the book, by their Babylonian names, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Daniel gets, Daniel gets a Babylonian name too. Just, just, just to play a game, what's his Babylonian name? Belshazzar, yeah. Well done. I am super, super, super impressed. Now, this is not a bad place to start. Because you've gone into a foreign land, and you've even been given a new name. The question then comes... How do you, if you wish, maintain your identity? How do you retain your identity and not just slip into Babylonian ways? And that is, in a sense, the context for the reading we heard this morning. And that's all shaped around food. Just for a moment, have you ever thought how culturally defined food is. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Um, this is not in the sermon. I'm going to get really embarrassed because <laughs> this could go awfully wrong. But I was with a guy, uh, this was down in Bendigo. Um, by the way, Bendigo and Bendigo have got connections. Um, and he was an English guy and he'd been to his doctor and he was being told off for being pre-diabetic. And the doctor said to him, stop eating marmalade. And I had real sympathy for this guy because I eat marmalade most breakfast times. And I just said to this guy, doesn't everyone eat marmalade? <laughs> and it turned out not everyone does because not everyone's from England. <laughs> and it made me realize just how culturally, culturally located diet is. And in this book here, it is food that is the issue. Because Daniel and his friends are being fed up on Babylonian food and wine. And Daniel doesn't want it. And he asks the kind of the manager of them all, look, I want to go back and eat, in a sense, Jewish food. Not to have bacon sandwiches, I'm adding that bit in. But there's reluctance. Because the manager doesn't want to see them, you know, wither away. They're meant to be serving in their royal household. So the deal comes, you can have 10 days, you and your friends, of eating vegetables and water. By the way, isn't this interesting? Daniel's a vegetarian in this context. And this may come as a surprise to some of you, but if any of you, who's here is a vegetarian or a vegan? Oh. <gasps> My daughter's a vegan, and she would almost take, be annoyed at this bit, because there's almost surprise in the text 
that they prosper on a vegetarian diet. I can tell you my daughter would go like, duh, dad, of course they did. (laughs) And it says at the end of the 10 days, it was observed that they appeared better and fatter than all the young men who'd been eating the royal rations. And that's kind of what we heard today. And it sets up the basis of Daniel maintaining his Jewish identity and becoming an interpreter of dreams for the king. Now, inasmuch that I framed the beginning of how do we sing the Lord's song in a strange land, wouldn't it be easy if it was as simple as me saying to you, don't go and eat any Big Macs? Wouldn't that be marvellous? But it's not. That's not as simple as that, even though that's the way I kind of sketched it. Daniel retains his Jewish food. There's far more nuance in the text than I've given in my sketch. But I want to say that question, that question of how do we live faithfully in a strange land is one that is addressed in Daniel And it's one that is pertinent to confirmands and pertinent to us. So let me just take this sermon just a little little bit of a different direction, if I may. I was reading a book recently by an American called Cara Root. And it's a book about belongingness, about the deepest belongings that we have. So by the way, you know God's going to be in there. And she basically talks you through her life. And she grew up in a wonderful Christian household. And she and her sisters and her mum and dad would do all the kind of things you'd expect good Christians to do. If I might just say, I hope you might know this, teach, tell, tend, treasure, transform, the five marks of mission. And she lives in middle America and she actually attends a really, she talked about it as being a welcoming, inclusive megachurch. She couldn't sing more highly of it. And fundamentally, as she grows up, church is good, family life is good, God is good. Well, you know what's going to happen. One by one, things slowly change for her. Her church that she loves, really loves, the elders of the church, um, make a change in terms of their youth pastor. And a new youth pastor comes in. And he has a different vision for the really vibrant, I think it's 300 people, if I remember rightly, 300 people. You've got some way to go. 300 people (laughs) in the youth group. And the youth group withers. They try to keep it going amongst themselves, but they can't without the leadership. And it withers. And equally, tragically, her mother and father just are not getting on. And in the end, they split and divorce like so many um, families do, especially in America. And even the house that she grew up in, this house that she loved and treasured, gets sold because both her parents go different directions and then gets raised to the ground. She goes back in a few years' time and there's just nothing there. So by her early 20s, 
Life isn't so good for Kara, and the church definitely isn't good. And God is not good for Kara. So she loses God. She gives up on God. She actually denounces God and walks away from her godly life. She ends up making one really smart choice. She marries a guy who is willing to listen to her. And they realize they've got to get away from their life in middle America. So they go as far away as they possibly can to Melbourne. (laughs) And she writes about her, in a sense, her life in Melbourne. Not going into the churches to pray, which she used to, but just walking down the streets, really enjoying the beauty of the architecture. But she then writes about how in what she calls a liminal space, a space, in a sense, between different parts of life, slowly, quietly, in a sense, she starts to re-hear God's voice in her life. So cautiously, she starts to renew a relationship. But it's not the same relationship that she had in the past. Because it's a relationship that in a way has got all that knowledge of how things can at times fall apart. But she returns to the Midwest. But now she returns without the burden that sometimes comes from being fearful about the doubts and the anxieties that we all have. There wasn't any of the, in a sense you might say, anxious frenzied activity that so marked her first time round in faith. So actually, she comes back, and this is why she writes a book. She ends up getting ordained as a priest. And she gets back into teaching, telling, tending, transforming, and so on. But not in the way that she once was. And for her... Two questions abide. Just two questions abide. And I think these are two questions for you. Who is God? Who am I? And aren't those the two, in a sense, profound questions that so often you and I have? Who is this God that we praise and worship? And who actually am I to praise and worship this God? And I think if you listen to the words of this confirmation service, you will start to hear asserted, in some sense, answers to those questions. A God of profound love. And that we, in a sense, find our deepest identity when we're in relationship with God. That, I suspect is the deep theme that we see piling through the book of Daniel as it traverses all these dreams, as it flips from one language to another, though we'll end up reading it just in English, I guess. That God is good and we are God's children. So I'd like to end this sermon, if I may, returning to where I began. And I said what a joy it was to be in such a lively and at times noisy church. 
and it is. But it's also a profound joy to be in a church that is quiet and prayerful. So let's try this. God is good. All the time. May that be our prayer. Amen.